Hi everyone, welcome to a, a somber edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo. Nick Pollock is busy writing something up right now. So we got him, uh, we got a replacement for him in Matt DeBear. Matt, hello. Hello, young William. Uh, we are in, uh, like I said, we're not in the best of moods despite the laughing that we're trying to do to mask the pain that we're feeling. Uh, Joe Moorhead, it was announced tonight that Penn State is, uh, is losing his offensive coordinator. First reported by Brett McMurphy of, uh, I'm just going to say Brett McMurphy of the internet because he uh, isn't with ESPN anymore. Uh, it was reported that Joe Moorhead is heading to Mississippi State, taking over for Dan Mullen, who left to take the Florida job earlier this week. Uh, Moorhead was floated as a candidate a little bit earlier in this week. I believe it was on Monday night that this ended up getting floated out. Uh, one day later, he's the guy in Mississippi State, very similar hire to when they hired Dan Mullen. Uh, offensive guy, really innovative offensive mind, no... Uh, FBS head coaching experience, but definitely seemed like one of those bright and shining stars who could head to a pretty barren place in Starkville and have some amount of success. Of course, Dan Mullen had plenty and was able to parlay that into the Florida job. And now Joe Moorhead is heading into uh, what, uh, what this year at the very least is the most competitive division in college football. So Matt, before we dive into anything, uh, more anything deeper uh we're talking about potential replacements for him or uh what does he need for the program or anything like like that just what's your knee-jerk reaction to penn state losing joe moorhead um well you know we kind of got a little taste of it last year when uh it was reported i think right around the big 10 championship game that he was um talking to purdue before they hired jeff brown and i believe his name came up um in relation to the Minnesota job before they went with PJ Fleck to some degree. Um, so this isn't exactly earth shattering. Um, and we, you know, we saw the report, um, I believe it was on Monday that he was a serious candidate down there along with guys like, um, Oh, Jeremy Pruitt and Manny Diaz. And, um, that was Pep Hamilton's name was part of that too. That's a I whole other discussion. Pep Hamilton's name pop up. And I think football scoop, uh, dropped the, his name in for another, it might've been football scoop might've been the all American, but yeah, apparently people want Pep Hamilton to coach their football team for whatever reason. Yeah. That's, that's a whole nother podcast that, that we need to do sometime because I, I have thoughts on Pep Hamilton, but I digress. It's, it's one of those things where we have, we've spent, you know, 24 hours kind of prepping for it. And Bill, you and I have talked a little bit um, off the podcast, obviously about um, you know, the possibility of this happening. Uh, my my first reaction is you know congratulations to Joe Moorhead. Um, it's not every day that you um, get a chance to get one of the fourteen SEC jobs, and he's walking into a really good situation. I believe Mississippi State returns seventeen starters next year, um, including their quarterback, potentially depending on um, how quickly his foot gets put back on the right right way. Um, and <laughs> it's and you know it's. It's it's a head coaching job in one of the premier in one of the premier conferences in the country. It's not you know you're not walking into the Alabama job. You're not walking into Georgia, um, but Dan Mullen did an unbelievable job there to to turn Mississippi State into the kind of job where Joe Moorhead, who probably to some degree had his pick of places to to look, um, was 
interested enough to pursue and ultimately accept the, the position. Um, so it's it's a, it's a mix of of you know feeling good for like we were saying earlier, Bill. You know, a, re- a really really great guy. You know, take the football coaching side out of this. Um, you know, every interaction that you've had with him. Um, you know, we've had some fun with him on the blog with uh, with Tuddies and, th- and things like that. Um, just a genuinely great guy, um, and it's good to see good things happen to good people. Um, and and of course, the the, the football side um, is disappointing. It's I don't want to say concerning because I've got something going up on the site um, on Wednesday about this that he's leaving behind a, a great situation, and we'll get into that a little bit more. Um, but there's no sure thing, you know, he's, he's led an offense the last two years that have, has set, I can't even remember how many different records, both indi- individually and collectively. Um, it was one of the, the best units in the country by, um, a ton of different metrics. Um, and so you don't know if that continues, um, you know, the, the pieces are in place for that too. And I think, um, like we'll get into a li- little bit later here, there's going to be no shortage of guys interested in this position. Um, but it's, it's. You know the guy that's as, as instrumental in Penn State winning the Big Ten last year, winning ten games again this year, being four points away from from undefeated season. Um, the guy that's as instrumental as anyone is is leaving, and you know all of a sudden there's a big unknown, and you know no one, you know the, the unknown is scary in in every situation. So um, that's that's the 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 negative side of this. But I I think I'm not, I'm an optimistic person. I'm a I don't like to look at the, the negative side of things too often. Um, my, my primary reaction is, is I'm happy for, for coach Morehead and his family. I'm, I'm excited in a sense to see what happens for Penn state. Um, and I, I'm confident that, um, good things are to come. For sure. I, you mentioned, uh, my first reaction was, I was really, really surprised by this. Uh, Moorhead, uh, for whatever reason, all the speculation about where, he would end up coaching whenever he left Penn State, which, you know, that's an inevitability. He's going to leave Penn State eventually. Uh, all the speculation seemed to be he wanted to kind of stay in his comfort zone for whatever reason. Uh, and, you know, stay in the Mid-Atlantic, stay in the Northeast, take a job like a Syracuse or a Boston College or something like that. I would argue that Mississippi State is a better job than probably what we expected him to get. Uh, I think we... We're all expecting he would kind of get one of those stepping stone jobs uh, that he would have, you know, two or three good years there and then turn that into a job at not a powerhouse, but a very good pro- a program like at Mississippi State potentially, uh, just on that tier of college football. So uh, when Dan Mullen left, I thought for sure Manny Diaz, a former defensive coordinator there, current defensive coordinator in Miami, who had a fantastic year, was no doubt going to be the guy. Uh, and unfortunately, I was wrong. Uh, it's okay to be wrong sometimes, and I uh, just wish that, uh, you know, it happened really fast. I think that was the other thing that surprised me. It seemed like Moorhead went from, uh, you know, it, it went from Moorhead is the guy to Moorhead is the favorite to Moorhead has the job in the span of like a day, which really surprised me, especially considering I believe Dan Mullen got the Florida job, uh, I want to say on Sunday, uh, yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, so I mean, kudos to Mississippi State for identifying and getting their guy in the span of like 48 hours. That is really, really hard. But unfortunately, it came at a loss for Penn State. And from on the football side of things, like, yes, I'm upset. Um, you know, he's a really, really 
fun play caller, really good play caller, really innovative offensive mind. I think back to uh, the game against Iowa this year where Kirk Herbstreet was fawning over watching him coach, which is very cool, very calm, very collected, walking him through, walking his players through everything, designing things, coaching, teaching, all that stuff. And it's not often that you hear people on TV uh, praise someone for those things. So the fact that uh, Moorhead got praised for that, I think speaks a lot for him. And then just as a guy, I mean, I met him a, t- I met him a few times, really cool dude, uh, was really cool whenever we wanted to do anything with him for the site. Uh, I think y'all know what I'm talking about with that. But just in talking to him and uh, talking to others who have talked to him, he's just a really nice guy. And it's very... Like, that's where I'm the most upset. I'm upset that Penn State is losing a person of the caliber of Joe Moorhead because he was a bit of an ace in a hole. I I think that with how quickly dynamic offense became the norm in Happy Valley, we kind of forget how bad things were before he came. In the year before Joe Moorhead game, Penn State averaged 23.2 points per game. The year after that, his first year, 37.6 points per game. The year after that, 41.6 points per game. Between the final year of John Donovan and what is now the final year of Joe Moorhead, Penn State nearly scored three more touchdowns a game. That is insane. And a lot of credit goes to him. And, of course, you know, he had a... Whole lot of talent, but how many times have we seen college football coaches have a lot of talent and not know what to do with it? So there's just a lot going on here. Uh, It's a very interesting fit, Matt, and that's kind of what I want to go to next. You know, keep the conversation on Moorhead for a second before we look at the Penn State side of things, which which is, you know, how do you think he fits down in Starkville? Because there are two things that have kind of been floating around that I think really illustrate, one, the number of returning starters uh, that they're going to have at Mississippi State, and two, the quarterback he's going to have at Mississippi State, that illustrate why, well, we may think it's a bit unconventional, this is a really, really good job, and really good fit for him. Yeah, like I was saying, um, and I somehow blanked on Nick Fitzgerald's name, um, hopefully the the... the Oh, maybe too graphic description of his injury gave it away, but um, we talked, and I, I think I've referred to Mississippi State to a number of people as SEC Purdue, and that's probably not really the case anymore. Um, time will tell whether Dan Mullen turned it into a, a pretty good job, all things considered, or if it was a good job because Dan Mullen had it. Um, you know, that's we're not going to know that for a while, but. He's walking into about as good a situation as you you can. Um, you're replacing, you know, arguably the the best coach Mississippi State's had in the last I don't know twenty twenty five years, maybe longer than that. Um, and but you're doing it because Mullen obviously got hired away by Florida, and so you're walking into a situation that um, there's talent there. The team, you know, is winning seven or eight games a year, which at Mississippi State is an unbelievable um, mark given. The, the the division they play in the natural disadvantages they have against you know the Alabamas and Auburns of the world and Ole Miss right there in state until until this year with the NCAA um, looming there in Oxford 
but I don't feel you know the offense that he's bringing down there is has similarities to what what they've been running. So I don't think there's going to be you know there's always a learning curve with any new scheme, any new coach, new terminology, all that stuff. Um, but he's not reinventing the wheel um, down there. Um, I think folks like us um, tend to over over emphasize things like regional fit and you know familiarity with the recruiting area and, and things along those lines um you know, if you hire good assistants then that helps you helps with the learning curve as a coach and learning you know the places you recruit um you know the high school coaches down there and, and things along those lines um so i don't think um he's, he's walking into a he's I, I do think he's walking into a situation that's really really well set up for him and like we've talked a lot about over the last you know year or so now since his name first started coming up for for jobs that he has the ability because of the success he's had at Penn State and the success that Penn State has had with him to be selective. You know, if the right job wasn't going to be available this year, then, you know, he, he could afford to wait for another year because he's, he's got a great situation in Penn State, both, um, you know, financially with what we're sure is a, a pretty lucrative contract he's had in Happy Valley um, with a great talent base um with you know uh, blue chip skill talent all over the field um a steady head coach in james franklin so i think i'm inclined to, to, to trust the guy's judgment as far as you know this being a good job this being the right fit for him because you know if he didn't if this if the right job wasn't there this year then he didn't have to have to leave you know and i he, think he's because one of those guys who he could have done almost the Brent Venables thing where he could have sat back and waited for what he felt like was the perfect job and then pursued that. And it says a lot about Mississippi state that he's pursuing this one. Exactly. I think I've always used the, the, uh, the Chad Morris, um, you know, Ben Venables, this is the same thing, you know, from going, coming from Clemson and waiting for, for the right fit. And now Morris has done a great job at SMU and his name's coming up for, um, you know, a number of positions potentially. So, um, whether he's you know he's a northeast guy he's from pittsburgh he's coached in the northeast his entire career um you know i think we get a little bit too hung up on that as far as oh this is a terrible fit you know why would why would the guy from from pittsburgh that's coached at penn state and yukon and fordham and akron and he has a little stint at pitt as well you know why is he going to starkville mississippi in the sec where he doesn't you know doesn't know anyone um let's trust the guy that's that's since he left yukon um, and took over the Fordham program has not made made a bad step. Um, you know his offense lit up um, the FCS level. We, you, Bill, you talked about the numbers he's put up at Penn State. Um, he's a smart guy that didn't have to jump at the, the first opportunity. He didn't do it last year. Um, you know who knows what other calls he turned down um, even this year before taking the call from from Mississippi State. Um, so I, I I'm excited to see what he does there. I I think like we said Nick Fitzgerald is, a, is an unbelievable fit for what he wants to run if he's healthy. Um, and I'm, I'm excited to see what he does. I think this is, this is uncharted territory for us as Penn state fans, you know, for, for years and years and decades and decades, um, you know, good news, bad news. The good news was no one was coming for Penn state's coaches. The bad news is no one was coming for Penn state coaches. No one was coming for Penn state's coaches for a very specific reason. Exactly. And I mean, there, there was always, you know, the occasional rumor about a Tom Bradley or, um, Larry Johnson, you know, on and off every now and then, but, 
this is this is the kind of thing that when you're successful, um, you you lose. Good programs have good coaches, and good coaches are desired by by other schools. You know, look at look at the the uh, Nick Saban coaching tree. Look at the Urban Meyer coaching tree. Those guys have have assistants leaving practically annually. Um, and in some cases, I think then Urban Meyer lose both coordinators um, just a couple years ago. Um, this happens at, at good programs, and when you're successful. Um, you, you want your coaches to be to, to be de- desiring to move up, you know, whether it's a, a position coach to a coordinator or a coordinator to a head coach. Um, you, you want guys that are are motivated to to seek out the next challenge because um, they're, they're going to work hard. They're going to um, they're going to get they're going to do their, their best for you because they're they're ultimately looking for that that next step up the coaching ladder, whether it's at Penn State or or like Joe Moorhead now heading to Starkville. Um, they're, they're, they want to move on to the next step and, and ultimately I'm sure most of those guys want to ultimately become a head coach at a place like a Mississippi state. Yeah. I'm very interested to see with him who he hires. Cause I imagine his staff, it's going to try and get guys who know the area for recruiting purposes. I mean, Moorhead's the kind of guy who with his offense and his general philosophy to a general approach to football, like. That's an easy thing to sell, but you still think that he might uh, might want to bring some people in who can kind of fill in the gaps that he might have in a new region. But when I look at this Mississippi State team and I look at what they did on offense this year, they were 19th in rushing S&P Plus, 31st in passing S&P Plus. Success rate rushing was 30, uh, passing was 41. The issue with the, oh their offensive line play was awesome. The issue with this Mississippi State team. Uh, and just on the offensive line thing, I don't know, like, returning seniors, any, returning players, anything like that, whatever. Their issue was explosive plays. Mississippi State with 124th in offensive ISO PPP. That's the kind of thing that Joe Moorhead's going to step in and change right away. He believes in big plays. He believes in, you know, beating you with big explosive plays. Unfortunately for him... He ha- is going to go into a situation where he has a running back in Aries Williams, who pretty solid this year, a uh, thousand yard rusher and only five touchdowns. But the reason he didn't have more yards was Nick Fitzgerald, his quarterback. Nick Fitzgerald is what every Penn State fan thinks Tommy Stevens is. Throwing the football, you know, he has his issues. He's not the best thrower. Uh, completing 55.6% of his passes, 15 touchdowns to 11 interceptions. But the thing that makes him so special is Fitzgerald has attempted 286 passes this year, has been sacked seven times. He has ran the ball 155 times this year for 1,025 yards and 14 touchdowns. He is 6'5", 230. He is the kind of guy that, in a Joe Moorhead offense... If he can push the ball down the field and punish you with his legs and that RPO that Moorhead loves to run, that is a dream for a guy like Joe Moorhead. I have to think that he looks and he sees Nick Fitzgerald and sees what he's capable of doing, and he sees the best of Tommy Stevens, you know? And what happens if he's able to get in there and he has a quarterback, which, as James Franklin said on his first day in Happy Valley, if you got a quarterback, you got a chance. And guess what? He has himself a quarterback. He has a, several good players, I believe 17 returning starters, especially returning starters on a defense that was 21st nationally in S&P+. 
very, very good uh, both against the pass and against the rush. The issue on the defensive side of the ball was allowing explosive plays. This is just a very interesting situation for him. And he's diving into a situation where he is going to... It's him. It's it sounds like Jimbo Fisher at Texas A and M. It's Gus Malzahn at uh, Auburn or Arkansas, depending on you know who, who you want to listen to. It's Nick Saban at Alabama. It's Ed Orgeron at LSU. Arkansas has to figure out what they're doing, but it's I, I believe I read Chad Morris might be the guy there, but don't quote me on that. And then Ole Miss is you know it's Ole Miss, but they're your rivals, so you know throw the records out and all that. He is going into a cutthroat division. He is going into the kind of division where you need to be able to bring it every single night and compete and fight every single night against, in Auburn and Alabama, two of the five best teams of the country this year. In LSU, a top 25 team. In Ole Miss, a program that's always going to play you tough. In Texas A&M, a program that has all the resources and plenty of talent and at this point just needs a head coach. He is going into a situation where he has to be great. And I think that is something we kind of underrated when Mississippi State popped up. This is a challenge. And naturally competitive people like challenges. And a guy like Joe Moorhead probably saw this Mississippi State job, saw what this team was capable of this year, saw the fact that it was able to get a win at Texas A&M. And it was able to beat LSU. And it has a ton of pieces coming back next year. And Dan Mullen built up an infrastructure that, This is a really appealing job for him, and I think that this is the kind of job where it is a bit of a springboard job, but it's not a springboard job in a way that a school like a Boston College would be. It's the kind of job where you can go from, no, you could be there for four, five, six years, have some success there, and parlay that into, I mean, hell, we saw with Dan Mullen, he was there for... Uh, just under a decade, and he was able to turn that into the Florida job. So this is a really, really interesting fit for him. But Matt, on the other side of things, we have us. We have Penn State. Uh, We have the only school that matters. We have America's team, and we have to try and figure out where the hell Penn State's going from here. I think Penn State is able to pitch to people. We have a quarterback. We have a good recruiting class with a whole bunch of offensive skill uh, skill inside and some really good offensive linemen too. We have plenty of pieces on offense. And as James Franklin showed with Joe Moorhead, he is willing to hand the reins over to whomever he wants and, and let them do what they want to do offensively. And I have to believe, have to believe that makes it a very appealing job. Uh, before we go big picture, Uh, I want to talk about the internal candidates, uh, which, you know, that consists of three three guys for all intents and purposes. Um, Do do you see, you know, if you had to pick one guy to be promoted internally, who do you think that guy is? Because I think you can make a case for any of the three dudes. Also, to be clear, just so I can say, the three dudes are uh, tight ends coach Ricky Ronnie, wide receivers coach... uh, Josh Gaddis, an offensive line coach, Matt Limegrover. We don't know if you know if uh, Joe Moorhead's going to want to take any of them. Uh, running backs coach Charles Huff is also the special teams coordinator. I assume that he's going to stay there. Whatever, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, the, the three guys. You know, I I 
like you said, not include Huff in that just because it would be hard to imagine him moving over from special teams given the, the improvement there, but I digress. Um, if it's anyone out of that list, um, I guess I'd probably go with Ronnie. He's the guy who called plays in the uh, Tech Slayer Gator Bowl thing against Georgia a couple years ago when um, John Donovan was fired uh, after the Michigan State game. Um, so he's he has some play calling experience. He's the guy that, that Franklin went to um, on an interim basis for that bowl game. Obviously, Moorhead didn't call plays despite being on staff at that point. Um, Gaddis is an interesting choice. He's the, I believe, the offensive recruiting coordinator is his secondary title. Like Penn State's entire staff, they have their position title and then like assistant head coach or passing game coordinator, which I believe is Ronnie's second title. Um, I'm not sure what Matt Limegrover's is. Maybe assistant offensive coordinator or something to that effect. Um, if I had to 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 wager on any of those three, I'd probably go with Ronnie. For like I said, he was he was the guy that they went to. Um, Lime Grover is somewhat on record as saying that he doesn't particularly want to be the offensive coordinator again after um, his struggles at Minnesota um, before coming to Penn State a couple years ago. Um, Gaddis certainly is a, you know, there's no reason to think he couldn't do it, but um, I guess I'd consider him the second option behind Ronnie um, of the internal guys. Yeah, I I think the thing that, I think Ronnie kind of is the guy by default just because I th- I think both Ronnie and uh, Gaddis are guys who could be offensive coordinators somewhere down the road. I'm not sure if they're ready yet. I believe they're both younger dudes, but I'm not 100% sure uh, I could be checked on that. But Ronnie has been given uh, play calling responsibilities in the past. I believe James Franklin has talked about them as future uh, offensive coordinators in the past. The interesting thing with me is Matt Leibgrover. Because Matt Limegrover has been an offensive coordinator before. He was an offensive coordinator at Minnesota. Rather controversial one. I believe he, uh, when he came to Penn State, it was mostly because he didn't want the responsibility of uh, being the guy. I think he just wanted to be able to step back and just teach and coach the offensive line. I'm interested to see, and I I don't know anything. I want to get that out there to be clear. I think it's very interesting that, you know, what happens if Joe Moorhead decides, I want to bring him, I want him to be my offensive line coach, uh, you know, my co-offensive coordinator, my off- whatever he wants, down at Mississippi State. But Ronnie seems like the guy, if James Franklin is going to promote internally just because he's been given offensive coordinator responsibilities in the past, he's been with Franklin forever, all that stuff. But there are options outside of Happy Valley, Matt, that are really interesting. And there's one name that seems to pop up, or has seemed to pop up over the last couple of uh, couple of hours. I mean, even longer than that, depending on who you're asking, uh, regarding who can be his replacement. And if you want to talk about that guy and then we can start having fun and wildly speculating and whatnot go ahead but uh yeah who is this guy for the people who aren't aware um i i assume you are talking about our uh our i guess friends to the east um at fordham and andrew briner who took over for um coach moorhead when he left fordham for penn state a couple years ago um 
Bruce Feldman referred to him as Joe Moorhead's protege and collaborator on the system, um, the offensive system that they, uh, Moorhead brought to, to Penn State. Um, he is a Pennsylvania native. I cannot remember exactly where he's from. Um, I also saw another tweet from another national writer. I can't remember who it was responding to Feldman, um, essentially saying that um, Franklin and Briner have become close over the last couple of years. There's been a little bit of um, much I'll call it collaboration, but the the Fordham staff and the Penn State staff, just by because of that Moorhead connection, um, have um, gotten to know each other a little bit. I'm, you know, between um, off season, you know, trips and coaching clinics and things like that. Um, the Fordham did struggle a little bit this year. I believe they were four and seven. Um, I did see somewhere their their running back got hurt, which um, I'm sure played a part in that. Um, their offensive production was down to about 380 yards per game, um, which still nothing to laugh at. Um, so he's on one hand the obvious choice because you're not really going to miss a beat as far as scheme and terminology. You know you're. You're running the exact same offense with the exact same philosophy, just with a different voice in charge. And obviously, you know, every coach has their has a different, um, you know, is going to do things a little bit differently. But the the X's and O's, um, so to speak, are would remain essentially the same. You would think um, should Briner be the guy? It, it seems like if uh, it it seems like if. Penn State wants to stay on the path that they're on with Moorhead and keep his offense in, which I think makes sense. Uh, I, I think makes a whole hell of a lot of sense in that Penn State's going to have a third a third year quarterback in. You don't really want to reinvent the wheel during a guy's final year. Even if you know that is the kind of guy who can handle it, I think getting Briner in and bringing the system that Moorhead ran more like I'm not sh- I, I'm not sure if like they're different in any way if uh, anything like that is the case, but just generally they seem like they're on the same wavelength. Uh, I, I think that makes sense for next year's Penn State team, a Penn State team that is going to. Uh, you know, probably wants to keep things generally the same in Trace McSorley's final year in Happy Valley. Uh, Briner been at a helped develop the offense. Joe Moorhead runs, if uh, memory serves, at Fordham. I believe he's like thirty-four years old. He is from Lock Haven, Pennsylvania. His name has been tossed around uh, by Bruce Feldman. He tweeted that uh, keep an eye on. Moorhead's protege and collaborator on that system, Andrew Briner. Um, I believe Ralph Russo also had a similar tweet like that. Uh, I believe Ford uh, Feldman, I believe, was speculating about Briner possibly being the guy to replace Moorhead uh, over the summer during like some podcast that he and uh, Stuart Mandel had. Uh, from Lock Haven, right down the road, he would be the kind of guy who... I think deep down we all knew that this was kind of going to be a stepping stone for Joe Moorhead if the right opportunities popped up. Once we saw the success that Penn State was having and we saw the hype that was around Moorhead, it seemed like this was the kind of job that he could do for you know two years, three years, then move on to something else. Briner seems like the kind of guy, a younger dude, not as established as a head coach, as local of a, of a play caller as you can get 
more or less, who would stick around for a while and want to be the guy in Happy Valley. Uh, but, Matt, we don't know anything at this point. Uh, mentioning the people on Penn State staff is nice. Mentioning Briner is nice. But we're also in that fun position where we could talk about if James Franklin wanted to swing for the fences. Because we, if you recall during the Moorhead search, and I believe this came up when he promoted Pry, and our pals over at 24-7 Sports wrote something up where Franklin has a plan for these things. I believe you mentioned something like he has a Rolodex or something for every uh, potential job. Here, I'll just read what a... Uh, I'll just read what uh, Sean Fitz wrote. Uh, so I keep a list. Uh, Director of Football Administration, Kevin uh, Threlkel. He's got a list for every position, probably 30 deep in its rank. It's funny. I go to the convention and guys make fun of me. You're my offensive line coach and I'll be at the convention having lunch with two or three O-line guys. But my guys know I'm loyal. I'm not trying to replace you. Don't worry about that. But if, you're going, if you do leave, I'm going to have a plan. For each one of my guys, I got a pretty good idea of who I'm going to hire right now. That makes it sound like, to me, James Franklin knows what he wants to do, so we don't have too terribly much time to have some fun. So you're not allowed to take the guy that you know I'm going to say and the guy that I caved for in 2015. But other than that, who are some really fun names that uh, you think could come to Happy Valley and be, you know, really put Penn State on a trajectory like it hasn't been on before? Well, I'm I'm not going to steal your guy, Bill, because I'm I'm going to let you you know uh, wax poetic about him when I wrap up. Um, I've thrown out so many different names. I think Briner has been so obvious that it's kind of been hard to focus on some other guys. Um, I think it was Ben Jones who actually tweeted this um, earlier this evening when the after the news broke. But um, former Oregon coach Mark Helfrich is all of a sudden entirely or incredibly intriguing to me just because it kind of has that Kevin Wilson going to Ohio State feel to it. Um, you know, Wilson did not um, fail as a head coach wins and loss-wise. He did as a um, being nice to your players and not, um, you know, putting them in dangerous health situation-wise. Um, but more in the mold of, you know, head coach who um, isn't probably – the kind of guy that's going to get another head coaching job, but you know, wants to get back into, into the world of, of college football. Um, there are certainly, I'm not, I don't know the X's nose, you know, down, down to a science or anything, but watching what he ran at Oregon versus what Penn state um, has run under Moorhead there, it strikes me as, as very similar. So you don't have a huge learning curve. Um, but he he was certainly very successful as as an offensive coordinator um, under Chip Kelly before he left for the Eagles a number of years ago. Um, so that's in in the half an hour we've had to kind of think about this or hour now I guess. Um, that's a name that's kind of become intriguing to me. Um, I threw out a couple others, but I don't even remember them. I'm trying to go back through through notes and stuff here to see who it is, but. Um, I'm not. I'm you know, at the risk of rambling while I look for anything. I, I, that's the name, I guess, if I'm swinging for the fences, that, that first comes to mind. So obviously, I'm going to say Bob Stitt here. Uh, Stitt is currently unemployed. He uh, he got fired from Montana after three years. I don't believe things like went sour there necessarily. I think that. Uh, 
Yeah, eight and five, six and five, seven and four. Missed the postseason the last two years. Uh, they decided to fire him. Whatever. Um, yeah, what the hell? Former U football coach interviews for. Oh, okay. Sorry, I Google Bob Stitt, and now I'm very interested in uh, seeing like what the scuttlebutt is about where he's going to end up. Apparently, some Robert Morris website would like it if he was hired to a coach in Western Pennsylvania. That'd be kind of cool. But, uh, yeah, Bob Stitt, hire him. Uh, I am very interested in what happens if James Franklin, let's say he isn't able to get Brian or let's say he doesn't want to promote within. I don't know where he goes at this point because Franklin is very good at, you know, it seems like he has a whole bunch of connections and whatnot within the college football world. Um, just that sort of thing. I, I, a guy like Stitt would be great. I think it's going to be Briner. If I had to put money down on this, uh, it's going to be him. I'm not hundred percent sure for who, uh, where I would do that, but he seems like the guy that makes the most sense, especially because I know Fordham wasn't especially, uh, great this year. Uh, I believe they had a relatively down year. Their starting running back got hurt, and it kind of hampered what they were able to do offensively. Yeah, they went four and seven uh, on the season. Re- only had one win where they scored forty plus points. So I-, I guess that's concerning. But again, their running back got hurt. I don't know what's going to happen. But looking around, I mean, like a guy like Helfrich would be hilarious. Like watching it, like it almost makes me upset because I would want to see him see Saquon Barkley in that kind of an offense, and odds are that's not going to happen. But wherever Franklin ends up going, I'm sure it's going to be a guy who has a similar belief about explosive plays, uh, won't want to reinvent the wheel or anything like that, which I know I've mentioned already, and take it a guy that just seems to make sense and can build off of what Moorhead did uh, I don't know to what extent that would be, but just build on that and keep what made Penn State so great. And if there are any things that he would want to change, they're very small changes and not, you know, uh, we're going to start running a pro style, grind it out, uh, three yards, three yards, four yard offense or anything like that. So, uh, yeah, I, I can't think of anything else I want to discuss, Matt. What about you? No, I think in the, you know, I don't know when this is going up on the site. So the, the post I'm about to reference may already be act, be live by the time you listen to this. But um, to go along with what, what I'm writing, um, Joe Moorhead deserves as much credit as just about anyone for where the, the, the position he's leaving the offensive coordinator job in versus when, you know, what it was when he arrived um, for any number of reasons. And, and this is probably hyperbole to some degree. This is one of this job now is suddenly probably one of the most desired assistant coaching jobs in the country. This side of of Urban Meyer and Nick Saban's staff. Um, you know, in two years, a guy came into the position and is now getting an SEC head coaching job. Um, you get to work with a head coach that just got a contract extension that's going to keep him in state college for the foreseeable future. You're working with um, for one year at least Trace McSorley, who by the time he graduates, he's going to own every mm-hmm. um, important passing record in Penn State history. 
you've got two five-star running backs and a four-star that will be your three deep um, in the backfield next year. You've got um, Jawan Johnson, who's just now becoming, you know, realizing how good he can be um, as a receiver. You've got the number one wide receiver uh, prospect in the 2018 recruiting class coming in next year with Justin Shorter. You've got an offensive line that has a lot of really good young talent that's presumably just going to keep getting better as they, they mature physically. So there's not a whole lot of negative I see with, with whoever takes this job. You're walking into just about as good a situation um, as there is from an offensive coaching standpoint um, with a team that's won 10 games back-to-back years. And that, more than anything, I think, is, is the legacy that, um, that Joe Moorhead leaves behind. Yeah, the, the 21 wins um, with him coaching the offense the last two years is great. The Rose Bowl berth is great. The Big Ten Championship is unbelievable. Um, but all that stuff has led to the important part, which is he is leaving a job that is going to attract um, a ton of big names, a ton of really talented coaches, um, way beyond the few that we mentioned here. Whoever gets the job, you know, obviously, like I said up front, there's no guarantee he's going to be um, as successful as Moorhead was. Um, maybe he'll be more successful. I think we all obviously hope for that. But it's as good a situation as you can have when you're looking to replace a guy um, because of the work that Joe Moorhead's done to make it a fun offense that kids want to play in, that wins games, that makes Penn State a nationally relevant program, um, both you know, as far as wins and losses and, um, that you get eyeballs on. Um, I think you're going to see a lot of guys from this offense get shots in the NFL, um, be drafted because of what they were able to accomplish within the system that showcased what they're able to do. Um, all that stuff matters when James Franklin picks up that phone on Wednesday morning or his, his phone starts ringing Wednesday morning with guys that want to talk about this job. Um, so, Regardless of how it turns out, I think it's hard to not be excited in the sense that this is they're going to get a really talented person that is going to have an unbelievable opportunity to succeed uh, going forward. Absolutely. And, you know, to kind of tie this back to Penn State football, uh, you know, to end it, um, like Matt said, it is a sign of a really, really good program when other schools see your coaches and what they're doing from a success that they're having standpoint from a both on the field and off the field from what they're running schematically uh from just what kind of person they are and what kind of fit they would be in their program it's a really good thing when schools are seeing all of that and going we should hire that guy in some kind of a role here. I know there's more head with all the head coaching jobs that he has been tied to. Uh, I believe uh, I might be wrong on this, but I think Brent Pry has been tied to a job or two. I think it was a head coaching job at like Georgia Southern or something like that. I don't totally remember. Um, there's been Sean Spencer. I believe he was mentioned as a candidate out at Oregon or something like that. Just, all these things where it's Penn State football coaches being guys who people want. And there is something to be said, don't get me wrong, for being able to hold on to them. 
But there's also something to be said for having a system in place that is so good that people go, I want to bring that culture to our program and instill it here. It's a sign of a good program. It's a sign of a healthy program. And it's a sign of where we are at right now with Penn State football. It is a program that is taking steps forward. It is a program that is doing good things. And it is a program that other schools, even schools in the SEC West, other Power 5 schools, want to try their best to replicate. And uh, I think that reflects really well in a whole bunch of things with Penn State football. And of course, that reflects really well in Joe Moorhead. Uh, We're going to miss him. Uh, We loved him. He was a great coach. Good dude. The players seemed like they enjoyed playing for him. The coaches seemed like they enjoyed having him around. And he helped modernize Penn State's offense. And to that, uh, we're thankful. We're always going to be thankful. And uh, we're all going to be ordering cowbells sometime soon to ring them in our living rooms whenever Mississippi State plays during his Clang up! There. Clang up! And on that note, uh, I'm not going to do the usual sign-off, but uh, thanks for listening, everyone. For Matt DeBear, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, y'all.